0: Welcome to the 38th episode of Nulika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in society, politics, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisen.
1: And I'm Sweden Lee.
0: And this week, I had a very special conversation with Dr. Sandeep Nanwani.
1: Who's getting his master's in global health delivery at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine.
0: Yes, by this interview, I meet me because Sweden was off having his Thanksgiving break while I was working all week.
1: Stephanie and Sandeep talked a lot about Sandeep's motivations behind being a doctor and his work um, with the displaced communities in Indonesia, working with marginalized and invisible voices, in particular the waria community.
0: Which is often translated as transgender women, but me and Sandeep talked about how it's more nuanced than that. Oftentimes, uh, warias, which literally means wanita priya or man-woman, are born male, but present themselves as women and have no desire to transition.
1: Stephanie and Sandeep talked about some really great topics and issues that we feel like are often not featured enough in mainstream media. And you know, we're really humbled and grateful to Sandeep that we can share the stories of the waria and the story of the work that he does. And we're also really excited to feature him as an incredibly inspirational and amazing young Indonesian who's doing really good work. And we're super excited to have him on this episode.
0: Yeah, through him, I think we're able to discuss in more complexity and detail about the particularities of our culture, which is often really hard to translate and has so much um, local context that gets lost in um, shorter pieces. So I hope we do the community justice and hope to feature someone who is actually from that community at a future date.
1: So, here's to it. So as we mentioned earlier, I'm not in this episode because I was out on Thanksgiving break. But as the first audience to Stephanie and Sandeep's interview, I was really struck by the stories he told and the kind of incredible insights and observations he made as both a practicing physician, but also a young Indonesian trying to solve really important issues and difficult topics in Indonesia, and it makes so much sense that he was featured not only in um, Afu's Frame and Sentences video on history, but also in an NPR episode of All Things Considered recently about the work that he does. And both Stephanie and I are really excited and humbled to share his story in greater depth and length in this week's episode. And yeah, it's also amazing to have Stephanie in New York and Sandeep in Yogyakarta and still have an amazing conversation thanks to the internet. (laughs) So without further ado, here's to Stephanie and Sandeep.
0: Hi, could you introduce yourself and what you do?
2: So I'm uh, Sandeep Nanwani. I'm a physician, recently graduated from Medical University in Yogyakarta. And I'm currently doing my master's in global health in Harvard Medical School, uh, but I've been working in Jogja a lot with community-based organizations, uh, mm-hmm. specifically Waria, the Waria community, sex worker communities, uh,
0: uh, yeah.
2: children living in marginal places in the streets, and any other street-based communities. So I've been working with them. To try to provide access to healthcare, but it's really just a very difficult thing to do, even in, when we know that every Indonesian through BPJS has the right to healthcare.
0: And that's our national single payer healthcare system, yeah. which supposedly is like universal but has its problems. I read your article about that actually, it's really great. Yeah. Can you like talk about Waria? And I-, I think Waria is often translated into English as drag or transgender but what like how do you talk about that and what do you think of that working with these communities up close
2: so i think of varia cannot be completely translated through the word transgender it's
0: highly it's not yeah i agree
2: fairly specific to the indonesian context of course it has a special a specific history in indonesia if there's one thing that uh, unifies Indonesia. Yeah. I would say Waria because you have Waria with the same kind of subpopulations and the same characteristics in Papua, and you have Waria in Aceh, right? Yeah. So it's not Acehnese, it's not Javanese, it's not Balinese, it's Indonesian.
0: Yeah. It's untranslatable. It's one of those things that yeah. beautiful about our culture. Yeah. So like I feel like in a way being transgender in the US, the way it's conceived here. It's more like an individual gender identity. So this has a lot more to it. It's, you know, it's predicated
2: upon belonging to a certain community. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, because you're expelled from home. And often waria is predicated upon a certain type of job, right? You get money most likely because of sex work or ngamen.
0: Street busking.
2: Yeah. Ngamen is street busking. What defines warya, I think, is their work because Their work makes them a community. The warrior has their own uh, setting themselves up in the communities. They often have a matriarch, a mommy. Uh, They often are live in groups, right? Yeah. Uh, Often in very marginal spaces, which are uh, really reducing now also. So they often live in groups and, you know, they dress up together, go out for uh, sex work together and then busk. And, uh, it's not an easy lifestyle, I would say. I mean, it's not an easy thing to, in a sense, become a warrior. It's kind, it's very tough, right? To, to, to live. Mm -hmm. And the mummies and the community can be really tough too. Any kind of community often has certain rules and certain, you can often see some exploitation here and there, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. they all mean well. They want warriors to be tough as a rock. And that's why they are tough as a rock.
0: <laughs> yeah. How are they perceived generally? And like, what has made it necessary for them to be very tough?
2: So, wh- warriors are often tolerated, right? Compared to, for instance, uh, I would say middle class gay men or a lesbian couple or whatever. They're often tolerated in the queer spectrum, if we would say, if we would call it, right? But they are tolerated because they are observed as poor, very marginalized, and, you know, often sex worker needing state help, right? Mm. So uh, how do I put it? So sometimes the dominant requires a poor deviant to show that the dominant heterosexual form of living is the best because if you deviate from that, you become the poor sex working warrior.
0: That's so messed up. Of
2: course, they are they are marginalized, as in other poor people, in cities that are increasingly uh, urbanizing. They're often marginalized, but like not allowed to busk, and informal economies are starting to like be pushed down by the state right so like sex work is also starting to be illegal and that's like their main form of what defines them so
0: yeah cuz it's
2: kind of like the racism
0: yeah
2: the white needs the black to be white
0: oh my god right
2: you need the other to be white it's kind of like that i feel uh so that's why they are fair yeah cuz yeah. sometimes
0: i feel like western media like portrays waria as a sign of uh indonesian tolerance but, when you put it that way, it's also there's a cynicism to it, too. The toleration there's behind that there's like a deeper meaning,
2: <laughs> yeah, it feeds into the fantasy, right? Of the het- Indonesia is all about the family, right? Like the hetero heterosexual family that's the pinnacle of marriage is the pinnacle of belonging in Indonesia, right?
0: Right. This is fascinating. Could you talk about the gender identity of like a Wari? They they don't generally want to have an operation?
2: So some want to have an operation. I would not uh, try to generalize. But most often, uh, they are okay with not having an operation. So the population of men who buy sex from waria is the same as the population of men who buy sex from women. So. They
0: consider themselves heterosexual?
2: The men consider themselves heterosexual, and Waria often consider their relationship with these men in a heterosexual manner. Yeah. But often, Waria acknowledges that they can never be in an emotional or marriage with a a man as a Waria. Although older Warias sometimes do get married, but they don't, they remove themselves from the Waria world, Mm. and they get married.
0: As, as a, as a man or a woman? As
2: a man, they may get married as a man, yeah. So they, so they get, would get a wife? Yes. So often, waria also have young gay men partners called brondongs. Oh, yeah.
0: Who they the take, who,
2: who, yeah, who they take care of, uh, you know, materially buy them food. why are extremely caring people, really, really caring people. They really take care of their brondongs, buy them food, cigarettes, uh, whatever, you, whatever they ask. And then they are gladly happy when the brondong is bro, uh, older to marry the brondong off with another woman. So uh,
0: <laughs> it's incredible.
2: So these are the kind of relationships. And of course, with themselves, they have varia have their uh, own community, as I explained, right? So these are the kind of relationships that, as a community, they often form. A, That's
0: so beautiful.
2: Yeah, but often when we look of, look at it in terms of uh, so gay or sexual orientation and gender yeah. identity, yeah. we often forget yeah. these material concerns. First of all, like we forget that. It's job, which is important. They're sex worker and, and it's, you know, and we also, because fo- that there's
0: no alternative yeah. for them.
2: And we also tend to focus on absent loves. You know, my friend wrote, just wrote a wonderful article as an anthropologist. He wrote this wonderful article on uh, how our models of gender and sexuality often mm-hmm. f- make us focus on absent loves. Like, oh, the warrior doesn't have the male partner or they, they, oh, they want a male partner. But as I explained in themselves, they have a community. They have brondongs to look after. They have all these wider networks. You know, Waria are the heads of the streets. Hmm. So they even take care of street children. So they adopt street children and, uh, they make them, they grow up and they become like their biological children. And then the children have some money. And these are things that we should, we should be thinking about, which we often, but any like extant models of like gender and sexuality don't think about these first political economy and other like, present carings, which which you know the present relations which constitute you know a warrior.
0: fascinating and i can talk about this so much further but i want to get into you yeah yeah, like what what made you interested in this work and like what made you get an md in the first place and eventually end up where you are now
2: so what made me get an md in the first place was my mom died of cancer uh, when I was in high school. I'm
0: so sorry. Yeah.
2: So when I was in high school, my mom died of cancer. So she had, she was living with cancer for like 11 years. So my whole childhood has been no, every summers going to India and staying in the hospital. Right. So that has been my summers for childhood. And so naturally I was very drawn towards the hospital and wanting to be a doctor. Then I entered medical school after my mom died yeah. and uh yeah in medical school i just loved the science uh, but what made me interested in working with waria first and then waria brought me through to other street children to sex worker and men now mental illness all through them uh was i met this one waria patient in a, in a emergency room her name was eka she had rectal cancer uh hiv and very difficult conditions mm mm-hmm i was still a medical student so i couldn't do anything but what i did was just hang out right mm-hmm. i literally went every free time i had and sat with her for almost the whole year she she was sick uh and then i met the other waria community in jogja then i met mummy mummy finolia in jogja and buruli who were so accepting in their house and so amazing when I saw how they care for each other how they care for street children how they care for uh, brondongs and I instantly fell in love and I instantly said let's do something and we should help and I've been there ever since yeah and then they brought me to you know waria say oh my street child my my child who is a street children uh is pregnant or uh, what do I do Then I did the whole street children thing. And then the, because of the vagrancy law, warriors and street children were caught and brought to these camps. So I went to these camps and I saw that almost 80% or 60, no, 60% of people who are caught in these camps have severe psychotic illnesses, severe schizophrenia. That's what brought me to schizophrenia. So it's been very organic in that sense. Uh,
0: could you describe the condition of what that institution is like? What that place is like?
2: Yeah. So camp assessment, it's called camp assessment, is a place where all the vagrants are. Vagrants is like any glandangan it can be translated to Glandangan and kepengemis. Often uh, called gepeng, mm-hmm. glandangan, glandangan and pengemis, and vagrants can be <laughs> Indonesian and Indonesian. their acronyms, right? <laughs> <Indonesian-like> acronyms <laughs> are the best. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so gepeng are, are are brought to these assessment camps. They're the in these camps. You know, I, I know all the social workers really well and work with them really, really. And the, in these camps, they try their best to assess what problems, what causes uh, someone to be uh, in such situation mm-hmm. and try to do rehabilitation in the sense their social rehabilitation to get some. But the form of uh, models in the our welfare system, of course, uh, influenced by uh, history and colonial times and so on of, of of our welfare system relies so much on the presence of a family as we discussed earlier right indonesia has this thing that everyone is in a family a heterosexual nuclear family
1: mm-hmm.
2: so they have these psychotic vagrants where they're like giving medications to and telling them to remember their family and then they, once they remember their family they forcibly return the psychotic person back to their family
0: which usually means that there's a reason they left their family in the first place
2: yes which are there. these families are very violent right so the yeah. or
0: or the psychotic person
2: could kill a brother fracture his mother uh, or do you know many things and the same thing they do it to children as well like uh, because children also come to the streets because of violent families, right? Oh man! So so my research now has been like, okay, you return to your families. This is what happens in the families, you know. So I've been looking at and trying to critique the family. That's that's in a sense.
0: Uh, yeah. How what? What is your experience with the authorities? Are they open to criticism? What's their mindset like?
2: They're extremely open to criticism. So I often. Uh, Get a bit get into friction with activists in Jokja because I work with the state. Mm-hmm. I completely work with mm-hmm. the state, despite knowing that they're violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with the state for a reason because they are the ones who are going to provide me insurance. They are the ones who are going to provide me healthcare costs, right, for people who are extremely sick who spend like ratusan juta or uh, hundreds of millions in rupiah in ICUs in hospitals. So I have to work with the state. And I think there, as I said, why we are in the position we are in is often if you ask a social worker if you ask a person in dinas social or the social welfare ministry uh, or the you know the provincial social welfare office they often will say it has always been like this mm. they often will say i don't know why it is like this and they often know the problems but it has always been like this so i i i think we need to look at history more carefully and why are ins- we have social institutions like that? Yeah, is often because of a complex history. You know, Indonesia was colonized, right? So, it has a certain understanding of welfare because of its colonization.
0: Oh, so many questions that I want to ask in what you said. There's so many good things. Um, so one thing is like you work with authority to kind of try and improve the conditions for people. Yes. Um. Yeah. And they're somewhat receptive to it sometimes. And
2: yeah, right. Yeah.
0: And you have, you're in friction with activists because of that.
2: I'm not complete, complete friction with activists in the sense they don't hate my guts, but of course, <laughs> uh, they, they do. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, they do. I understand. Waria have taught me one thing. They often will also work directly with the state for state welfare. So I've learned from their models to extend it to other things. And, uh, mm. You know, I don't want to romanticize poverty and I often have friction mm. with activists because they want, they're against the law, the vagrancy law as it's, it's like catching people in the streets and not allowing freedom in the streets and so on. But I also, I want to think a bit more in depth. I don't want to romanticize living in the streets also. Mm -hmm. You know, we should just ask what people want instead of assuming what they want. (laughs) And people may want different things. And uh, it has always been a a, a key lesson of mine, which I I always thank the warrior for, to always be able to manage the state and state workers and the community receiving care and try to manage to listen to both
0: going on a different topic uh, especially with waria how has the political situation both locally and nationally changed for them in the last year or two so
2: 2016 was a terrible year for LGBT. LGBT has become politicized as a way which I kind of don't understand what it means mm, so. because it's like what is LGBT? It's like it's this ghost. It's this sort of like Pekai. What is PKE? right? Sort of this haunting uh, ghost. I actually wrote my final paper <laughs> on how LGBT is this. Really? It's not it's not an acronym. It's this ghost. It's based on my interviews with protesters so in Jogja in 2016 there were a massive anti-LGBT march mm-hmm. huge march and so I interviewed some of those people who joined the march and I asked them so what is the threat why are you like you know walking around the street marching awas bahaya or beware of the danger of LGBT uh, why are you doing that and they're like, oh, LGBT is this latent threat that can be in anyone. Our children's can have it. This person can have it, can be in anyone. And then I've said, but isn't Waria like you give money to, you know, because the next day after, after the protest, I see someone with the same jacket giving money to Waria. So I asked the guy, like, isn't she's like, oh, Waria and LGBT is different. That's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of. Think of it as the same way as well. Because LGBT is not even gay, not even transgender, not even... It's this LGBT. If you look at newspaper articles, Apakah Kamu LGBT? That kind of like... It has occupied a political position of the PKI, kind of like the communists, like the drug trafficker. You know, because Indonesia suffered 32 years of autocratic rule in which everybody was socialized to be suspicious of themselves. Yeah. Right they were socialized to be suspicious. Am I Pekai, am I not Pekai? Am I LGBT, am I not LGBT? You know, and that's the kind of politics of LGBT, which is quite odd, I would say. You know, I don't use the word at all. Uh, State workers don't use the word at all. I think that we need to be more smart in thinking of what position politically uh, the word. Uh
0: What's the hardest thing about doing this line of work so far?
2: The hardest thing about doing this kind of work has been, one, seeing a lot of deaths. You know, I see a lot of deaths, mm-hmm. like dying people. Mm-hmm. And two, it's just, you know, I, the hardest thing is like you try to, you meet someone, you try to get the best kind of care available for that person, do so much just to find out that in the blink of an eye, the person can gone be gone and run away. And that. I think it's the worst kind of heartbreak I all get often so many times. And like, Aww. uh, I just had a woman, uh, who, you know, was once my star patient. I, she used to be the beacon of hope, right? She's really sick, HIV positive, really, really sick, kicked out by their family. One of her child died of AIDS, really terrible conditions, mm-hmm. right? Got access to healthcare. And, you know, she's recovered and she was working as a maid somewhere, getting some money. And then she got this street kid boyfriend now who... no, And then she's run away with the street kid boyfriend now and is essentially living in the street now. So she was so good. She was already there. It was really hard to to know that, you know, that... So it's like, it's just every day... You're against precarious structures and this huge violence. Uh, and you have to just go on, I think. Uh, but my biggest fear is being numb, actually. My biggest mm. fear is as, as long as I can feel hurt, it's fine. But I don't want to like feel numb. That's like the worst fear I have. Mm. So that's how I give solace to myself, right? At least I feel something, right? <laughs> Nothing at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's, like, one of the happiest moments or, like, special moment for you, like, in doing this work to offset the death and dying and heartbreak?
2: Ah, uh, there's so many happiest, happy moments. So many. Two weeks back, I was eating. And this one friend who was a street kid before, not literate, literate at all, was severely ill, uh, uh-huh. got 40 injections. Can you imagine? 40 injections for his TB. Oh and my he God. went through all that. And now uh, he has ankringan and he was cooking food for me. And he said, like, what's ankringan? Ankringan is like this ca- small cafe by the street and oh. he, he cooked for me. And, uh, he's like, Oh, this is on me. And he, he paid for, for his, like, he said, this is on me. And I was like the happiest person to see that. Uh, he has some security and like. And, you know, some make it, some people make it, although he's not that great living in a great place because, you know, he's still poor, but, you know, better than what he was. Yeah.
0: I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you so much and keep doing the awesome work.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id.
1: Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free.
0: If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica.
1: If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page.
0: You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at Pod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Tank Steph at s-t-e-p-h-t-a-n-g-k.
1: Thank you again and see you guys next time.
0: Bye!